Have you ever had somebody tell you something or maybe even explain to you something, how to do something? There's a task at hand and, and you're, you know, it sounds kind of simple when they say it and as soon as they walk away and you try to go to about doing that task, you go, oh my goodness, I have no idea what to do. I have that happen to me a lot. I don't know if it's a memory issue, a lack of listening issue, or just total incompetence. But it happens to me a lot. I listen. I think I'm listening. I'm hearing and listening. But I don't get it. And I think sometimes that has happened in the Scripture with the disciples, with Jesus. Sometimes I look at that and I think, now these guys spent most of three years with Jesus and it's amazing how much they did not understand. How much they missed. And a lot of it is because of a, a, a bias that they had in their previous thinking or the way they thought, their expectations. I think that happens to us all the time too. But there's a verse in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And it's almost as if they're just sitting around having this conversation. Jesus has been doing a bunch of crazy things. It's been amazing traveling with Jesus. And of course, wherever he goes then, he's persecuted and people are saying a lot of things about him that aren't true at all. And people that are watching him from a, a Jewish perspective, maybe a godly perspective, if you would, are looking at going, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Look what he's doing. And they start guessing, you know, who is he? Is he Elijah? Or who, is, you know, who is this guy? And finally, Jesus is listening to all this going on. And Jesus first asked the disciples, who do they say I am? And they throw out these things. And then Jesus goes, but you know what? Who do you guys say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter, who has been the self-proclaimed spokesman of the group many, many times, opens his mouth. And it's amazing how many times in the past and, and in the future, when Peter opened his mouth, he kind of inserted his foot. But this time, it's different. This time in Matthew 16, verse 15, I'm going to start there. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. Forget this Simon stuff. You are Peter. And upon this rock we will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. The title of my sermon this morning, if you didn't see the slide, if it wasn't up there because I kind of jumped ahead of him, was simply, I will build my church. And the book of Acts. In my Bible, the title is The Acts, and underneath it it says, Of the Apostles. And I, I get that. I think that's probably very true. But I think it could almost be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, nothing like this, what we're going to talk about and look at in the book of Acts, would ever happen. As a matter of fact, without the Holy Spirit, even though He hadn't come in the way that we are seeing Him come on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is what gave Peter this revelation. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. What a powerful statement came out of Peter's mouth at that time. And we'll talk about it in a few moments, but I, uh, he didn't understand, I don't think, the significance or the depth of the meaning of that statement. He uses the word church in Matthew. 
And it's interesting that the first time the word is used is really right there. And it's used by Jesus. Church. Now if you're in your study that we're doing in our life groups, you've heard a little bit of this already. But that word in the Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Not a very big word. And then it got translated church into our language. And the only problem with that really is it's been confusing throughout history. When I say history, even recent history, going back a few hundred years, that when we say the word church, the wrong picture has come into our minds. We think of the church, Victory Christian Church, or we think of the Lutheran Church or the Catholic Church or the, you know, the Protestants, whatever it is we think about, we kind of have a wrong connotation of it in our mind. And when Jesus used that word, ecclesia, what he was really talking about is a gathering or an assembly of people. And if you do a little study of that word in the lexicons, you'll see it's like a called out gathering of people. And it didn't always have to have just a religious meeting. If we wanted to have a meeting of the city people and gather them together, we'd say it, we'd call it an ecclesia, a called out gathering. We'd send a message, hey, everybody come, we're going to have a meeting. It's the people that's being referred to here. And notice when I read those scriptures, that scripture in Matthew, he says, it's upon this, and I believe it's upon the message that he was speaking, that he didn't understand the fullness of it, that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But he says, I will build, I, Jesus, I will build my church. I will build my gathering of people. I will build this assembly of people. I will do it through my power. And he says in the last part of the verse, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We would probably say something, I'm going to build my church and there is nothing that's going to stop me. That's what Jesus said. Nothing. Political systems isn't going to stop it. People dying isn't going to stop it. Philosophies of man is not going to stop it. Nothing is going to stop me from building my church. And for the last 2,000 years, people have been trying to stop it. And it almost seems like throughout history, the more the intensity of that effort to stop it, the more it grows. Because Jesus has said from the very beginning, there's nothing going to stop me from building my church. And I believe the message was what Peter said. Because Jesus said, that's what I'm going to build it on. The message, Jesus, you're the Messiah and you are the Son of the living God. And when I say I don't think he understood the fullness of that, they had a wrong perception of the Messiah. They didn't understand when he's saying that the message is Jesus, the Son of the living God, is going to die on a cross. He's going to be rejected by man. He's going to be humble servants. He's not going to be a mighty warrior leading us into victory on the battlefields. He's not going to be those things. They had no idea yet of the depth of understanding of what it was going to take for Jesus to be our Messiah, the Savior of the world. The reality that He is the Son of the living God. 
even though they'd seen and experienced much, they were still not getting it all, not understanding it all. And that's why Jesus could say, most assuredly, Peter, that didn't come from you. That came from the Father. That came from God Himself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if, if you understood that? If you said, you know, okay, we're going to build a church. First of all, what the heck is that? What, what kind of gathering are you talking about? I mean, Jesus is telling him, there's going to be a new thing coming. It's going to be different than anything anybody's seen before. It's going to be different than anything that has existed in the world before. It's going to come and it's going to challenge what has been in existence before. People aren't going to like it much, but it is going to change the history of the world. And could you imagine if when he said all of that, that was it? And it was your job now to go out and do that. Where in the world would you begin? What would you do? I sometimes wish the Bible would give us a little more background to the disciples after Jesus does the teaching. Sitting in a circle looking at each other, could you get that? Did you understand that? What in the world is he talking about? I think it would have happened often with his speaking. A new thing. Well, Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is giving us a picture of about a 30-year time frame. When you read the book of Acts from beginning to end, it's covering approximately 30 years, the first 30 years of the birth of this ecclesia, this church, this gathering of people. It's not a total history. It's a partial history. The Word of God and the gathering, the church spread to parts of the country, parts of Africa, for example, some parts of Asia that aren't talked about in the Bible right away. But it was taking place at that time. If you remember on the day of Pentecost, these people that were from all these different parts of the world, then they went home. So things were going on, but he is giving us a history of the beginning, the birth, if you would, of the church. So we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. I'm not going to put all of these scriptures up on the screen. So if you didn't bring your Bible, you have your phone with a Bible app, good. Otherwise, I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles in the next few weeks for sure, because we're going to be looking at Acts, but I'm not going to be putting it all up there, and I'm not going to be reading it all. But I want to read this morning, starting with Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account composed, the first account I composed, the first account he composed was the book of Acts, or of Luke. The book of Luke. That was like his first letter. Now he's writing another one. He says, The first account that I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 3 in particular says, to these he also presented himself alive, to the apostles, the disciples. There was a group, it looks like probably at least 120 people somewhere around there. He, he presented himself alive. And it's stressed right away at the beginning of the book of Acts because I think 
the, the historical proof, the historical evidence of the resurrection is key to everything. It's a part of the message that gets stressed over and over and over. The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection coming back to life after being crucified. And remember, he's talking to this group of people in, as we get a little further, this, this crucifixion, this death, burial, and resurrection had taken place less than two months before. And he's initially the church is being birthed in Jerusalem where all the events of Jesus' arrest, His condemnation, His crucifixion, and resurrection, it all took place there. So as the book of Acts gets launched and the church is getting launched by God, it's happening in the midst of a lot of people who would know exactly what's being talked about. And the resurrection is super significant. And He says, He revealed Himself to us. I'm not going to go through Scripture in verse, but just look at a few of the things. On day one, after the, res- the, the resurrection took place, the day it took place, Mary, of course, saw Him in the garden. It says woman, women, by the way, saw Him that very day. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus saw Him that very day. Uh, Simon Peter saw Him that very day. And the disciples in the other upper room were gathered except for Thomas. They saw Him on that very day of His resurrection. On the second day, all of the apostles saw Him again. Only this time including Thomas. And then as we go through Scripture, during the next 40 days, we see Him revealing Himself specifically to the seven disciples that are fishing on the Sea of Galilee. It says He was seen by 500 disciples at one time. It says He revealed Himself to James. He revealed Himself on the Mount of Olives at His ascension. But even in there it says in verse 3, appearing to them over 40 days. We don't know how many more times or how many more people He presented Himself. But the important aspect was that, of this was they were eyewitness accounts to Jesus' resurrection. And it all didn't take place in a faraway land. It took place right there. And many people could attest to the fact that this Jesus that they had crucified was alive. For those disciples, those 11 apostles, Judas is no longer there. For them, they had the evidence that they saw Him with their own eyes. Thomas put his hand in his side. They touched Him. And I'm pretty certain that a lot of hugging went on. They touched Him. Matter of fact, they sat down and ate with Him. All of the things that would confirm this is really Jesus. He really did resurrect from the dead. This is probably the most powerful motivation for what the disciples actually continued to do then that changed history. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that He had been raised from the dead. And the things that He had said were true. And then He starts in the book of Acts with the last instructions of Jesus before He ascends to heaven. The last words He says to them when He ascends. Starting in verse 4. And gathering them together, the disciples, He commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, you heard of from Me. 
Jesus had done a lot of talking and teaching about the Holy Spirit. He says, For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that You're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still weren't totally getting it. Still some confusion. And Jesus says, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He's giving this instruction just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And He says, go back into town. Go back into town. Go back into the city where they crucified Me. Go back into the city where you had been hiding in fear because of what they had done to Me. Go back and wait. Because I have a job for you to do, but before you start the job, you need to have the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are going to receive power. These are the last words. The last words of instruction. You will receive power when He comes upon you. You will be My witnesses to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. When we think of the word witness, we may think of one who testifies and that's absolutely true. The disciples were called to go and tell. Spread the good news of the Gospel. Go and share this testimony. But I believe completely that it also included you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses because people are going to look at you and they're going to see you're different. There's something about you that has changed. You are going to be my witnesses. And I think we see evidence of that really quickly in the life of Peter. You're going to be different. You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Even to those places like Samaria where you really don't want to go. To a people you really don't like. But you're going to go. And you will build My church. You will build My church. You will share My testimony. You're going to build My church. You're going to start a movement. There's going to be a gathering. And there's going to be a message. And that gathering of people and that simple message is going to start a new movement that's going to change the earth. It's going to change humankind forever. Wow. Big calling. Big job. Big destiny. And then Jesus no sooner finishes saying these words than it's like He says, see ya. <laughs> it's like, oh really? I think you're supposed to lead us into this thing. He says, or He leaves. He ascends. They're, they're there. They're sitting there or standing there. And all of a sudden, Jesus just starts ascending into the heavens until He disappears. Try to put yourself in their place. All that's happened in the last 40 days, all that's taking place, the despair, the fear, the personal agony you went through watching Jesus be arrested and crucified. And then the joy and the exhilaration of, of Him being 
raised from the dead and you're, you're coming back and you're seeing Him and He's doing some more teaching about the kingdom of God and, and He tells you that it, this is going to happen and we're going to build my church. And now He leaves. And it's almost as if when these, it says two men come, show up, two angels show up. And it's almost as if when they say these words, I, I translate the words in my mind, you know, he says, what are you guys standing looking up there for? The same way that he left, he's going to come back. My translation goes something like this. Okay, guys, what are you doing? He's gone. Go. Go do what he said. But there's an important promise in there that I think had to be heard. He is going to be coming back. He's coming back and he's going to come back the same way he left, but he is coming back. You've got a job to do. Wait in Jerusalem till the power comes upon you to do the job and he's coming back. And a part of me thinks, boy, that would have put an urgency in them. I don't think they had any idea that over 2,000 years later we'd be standing here wondering, when's he coming back? I think they thought he's coming back soon. Let's get to work. We've got to go do what he said to do because he's coming back soon and he's going to have expected us to do something. Coming back. He disappears. As we read into the book of Acts in the next few verses, there's some practical work that needs to be done. It tells us they're gathered together. It sounds like there's about 120 of them. The disciples, Mary, a number of Marys, uh, other disciples, other ladies, they're all gathered together and it says they're gathered together and they're praying. Because now they're in the waiting stage. They went to Jerusalem and they're waiting. And they're praying. Praying. And again, I, my imagination gets a little carried away. But I'm, what, did, what did they think is going to happen? The Holy Spirit is coming upon you. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What, what does that mean? What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? Wondering what's going to happen. They're gathered together, waiting. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then we know, we know the, the story, but before that, just some practical stuff. And I think it's so interesting that in the midst of this, Peter gets a revelation. And the revelation is, you know what? According to the Scripture, according to Old Testament prophecy, according to Psalms, Judas is gone. There's a vacancy here. There's supposed to be 12 of us. We need to get that 12th guy. We need to pick that 12th man. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 24 through 26, it says, They prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen. They have put out to be chosen between Matthias, Matthias I should say, and Barsabbas, who was called Justice. They came up with two men. And they said, We're going to draw, draw lots. Does that ever bother anybody that they just drew lots? It bothered me for a long time. What do you mean they drew lots? Here, short straw, you're in. Doesn't seem very spiritual. And then, and actually, I confess again, your pastor's ignorance. First time I went back and looked at this scripture in Proverbs was this week. The lot is cast into the lap. We roll the, the lots, the stones in that case. But it's every decision is from the Lord. There was no accident whatsoever. 
God in the Old Testament time with the priests often had used the casting of lots to reveal His will. And this is what's taking place here. Peter gets the revelation. We, need, we have to fulfill, fulfill the Scripture. We need a 12th guy. These two are our choice because he laid out some requirements. They need to be there from the beginning. They need to be there from the baptism by John all the way through to his death, burial, resurrection. They needed to be there. And these two guys were qualified. Jesus, God, picked them. And then we come to the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, I think most of us by now know that that means 50. There's a history to that that I'm not going to go into, but 50. We are told in the first few verses of Acts that for 40 days, Jesus was on the earth doing these things. Many signs, wonders, teaching, proof that He had been resurrected. People seeing Him, building the case, the historical case, the historical evidence that He really was resurrected. And then He says, go and wait. And they wait till day 50. So they were in Jerusalem for about 10 days praying. And on that 50th day, the Holy Spirit came, baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And this act of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming, plays a critical role in the redemption of man. And when I think of redemption normally, what, do I, what my mind personally goes to Jesus, the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection. But the reality is, without the Holy Spirit, none of us would have got saved. The Holy Spirit's role in redemption is huge. The Holy Spirit is kind of, you know, they're three in one. You can't divide them up, but it's like, He's the humble behind-the-scenes worker from the very beginning of creation of everything that exists till today. The humility of the Holy Spirit is revealed to us. When we look through the Old Testament, we really see God the Father being revealed throughout the history of the Old Testament. It's always God, Yahweh, Jehovah, God. It's always about Him. Then we come to the Gospels. And the Gospels are primarily about Jesus. Jesus works the things He did. But then comes the book of Acts. And we really get a significant picture of the Holy Spirit in the work of redemption. And then in the epistles, it's all about the churches pretty much. The work in there. But the, the book of Acts, the work of the Holy Spirit to renew and to save people. That day of Pentecost, we're not going to talk a lot about it, but was a remarkable display of the power of God, the mercy of God, pouring out His Spirit in a way that had never, ever, 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 ever happened before. And we know what happened as His tongues of fire and then they started speaking in other tongues and all the people that had came for the celebration of Pentecost. And the celebration of Pentecost was one of the biggest gatherings of Jews throughout the year in Jerusalem. It lists some of these people where they were from. They were from this country, this country, this country. They're all hearing it. And what they're hearing is the disciples, they're hearing them proclaim the goodness of God. They're talking about Jesus. And they're all hearing it. 
You know, the question is, are they speaking in their dialect in the native tongue or are they just gibberish and they're hearing it in their tongue? We're not going to argue about that. All we know is they were hearing the good news of Jesus, the deeds of Jesus. And they were from all these different parts of the world. And when Pentecost would be over, guess what? They'd all go back and have a story to share, a testimony to share. It was the beginning of this amazing movement, this amazing gathering of people, this assembling of people that is called the church. It's this group of people that is the church. And it was the gospel and the truth of the gospel message that drew the people by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here by design for a change, not just by accident. But in the Gospel of John, again, if you want to turn there, I'm not going to put all these verses up, but in the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 14, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus does a lot of talking about the Holy Spirit. And for me this week, as I was preparing and working and studying this, you know, one of the things that kept striking me is, you know, I don't, I don't sometimes act like I know enough about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I don't appreciate His role in our lives as much as I should. Sometimes I don't understand completely or I forget the significance of the Holy Spirit and how important it was that Jesus said, don't go do anything till the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He kind of gets left out in a lot of our thinking, a lot of our theology, a lot of our religion. We'll talk about God, we talk about Jesus, and we don't talk about the Holy Spirit or the devil. They're about in the same boat sometimes in all of our churches. And they're both very real. But one is God. And the other isn't. I'm going to just read a few scriptures from John chapter 14, 15, 16. John 14, starting verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and He will give you another helper, another helper. Another helper, if you do a study on that phrase, he's going to give you one like me. He's going to give you another one just like me. Another helper. That he may be with you forever. Forever. The gates of hell will not stand against it because the Holy Spirit will be here forever. That is, he is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you, abides with you, and will be in you. Wow, that's different. Something totally different. This movement, the Holy Spirit, God is going to live in me, move in me, be in me. It changes a lot. Verse 26 of chapter 14, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Now this is specifically to the disciples when He's saying these things, but He will give us words to speak. He will bring things to remembrance. It's part of His task as He lives in us to share the message, to keep the movement going of evangelizing the earth, changing history. John chapter 15, verse 26. And when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. That Holy Spirit in you and me wants to testify about Jesus. Because you 
have been with me from the beginning. Verse Chapter 16, verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now remember, this is teaching of, of Jesus back in the Gospel of John. This is before this all took place. This is before they understood it. And he's saying, it'll be better for you that I go away. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You've seen us, God. You've seen us, Lord. You see how bad we go and the wrong direction we go. Peter was probably sitting there thinking, uh-oh. He says, it's better for you that I go away. Why? Because if I go away, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit to you. And, and just think about it in a very practical way. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, was one man in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is in every single believer. Every single believer has the Holy Spirit living in them. Carrying out the work of the Father. Doing the work that Jesus did. Being a testimony to who Jesus was and is. Verse 8, And when He comes, and here's a section of Scripture you can spend a lot of time studying, but it really gives me a picture of the redemptive part or the Holy Spirit's role in redemption. He says this, And when He comes, He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see Me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit doing this work. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe and receive and accept the truth. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, none of us would be saved. None of us. It's all by His work. And the moment we receive His work, He moves in. He's working on you. Before we got saved, He was working on us. He's working on the world. He's working on everybody. That's why our role is, is to just share the good news. To be a testimony of the Holy Spirit's at work. And the last one I read from, want to read from John chapter 16 is verse 12. I have many, many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus again talking to the disciples. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Ever hear that before? That's what Jesus said about Himself. This is the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of God living in us. When He speaks, if we hear His voice, He's only speaking what Jesus and God are speaking. Amazing. Amazing. It's one of the reasons I'm always a little cautious when I try to tell you what God told me. Because if it's from me, it's not good. But if it's from Him, it's truth. For He will not speak at His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. Just some of what Jesus tried to teach the disciples about this Holy Spirit. And again, we need to remember, this, is, this was new to them. They knew about the Spirit of God. We see the Holy Spirit doing things throughout the Old Testament. But it's not like this. It's not like this. It's not like He's going to live in you. And everybody who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior is going to receive the Holy Spirit. He will seal you as a believer in Christ, as a child of God. He will lead you into all truth. He will be your comforter. He will be your encourager. He will teach you things. He will give you revelation. 
of which things are to come, according to this. And He lives in us. And then, when the Holy Spirit had came on that day of Pentecost, because of something that was taking place, some of the people were going, wow, this is amazing. Others were going, they're drunk. They're just drunk. That's all. Didn't matter that it was only 9 in the morning. They're drunk. They weren't interested in hearing anyway. But Peter, and I think this is, this to me as I look through this, this is like the Holy Spirit had came, the Holy Spirit had baptized Peter, and all of a sudden, wow, Peter, this is amazing. This is amazing. And you know, we'll get to a verse and you'll see it in there, but I always used to think, God, this sermon only takes me like three minutes to read. And thousands of people got saved. I guess i got to cut this baby back to three minutes. But if you'll read in there, it says, and he said many, many more words than just what's written in here. So I'm okay. But think about this. Peter, he hears this accusation. And I believe the Holy Spirit in him, this new thing in him, rises up in him. And he begins to speak with a revelation. I mean, if he was listening to what he was saying, I bet he was surprised. Where's that coming from? He stands up and he addresses all the people. Any religious leaders in the area. He stands up and he starts preaching. And he starts out by saying, and I can just see the Holy Spirit, it says He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to reveal things to you. Boom! Joel, Peter. Remember Joel? Remember Joel, what he said there? About in the end days, He's going to pour out His Spirit on the people and these are the things that are going to happen. And He gives that to the people. And then He finishes a little bit later in Acts 2, verse 22. He says these words. Sometimes we, we say things like this. Will you listen to me? Peter says, listen. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, they were there. This all took place just in the previous months before the crucifixion. He's saying, you know all this. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, this did not surprise God. This was part of His amazing plan of redemption. All that took place, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. I think there was a supernatural boldness that was rising up in Peter by the Holy Spirit. He's talking to these people and he's saying, you're the bunch of godless people that did this. He didn't slow down. He didn't miss a beat. The Holy Spirit in him. He says, but God raised him up. And once again, I just can't stress this enough today as we start into the book of Acts. The resurrection, the fact of the resurrection is the key historical element in this whole story. You can deny what you want. You can make excuses for what you want. But nobody could explain the resurrection of a dead man who had been dead for three days. And he said, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by his power. And again, he was talking to a group of people that just a couple months earlier this was all taking place. In Acts 2, verse 32, it says, And Jesus said, God raised him up again. Again, just such an important part of his defense, his explanation. 
God raised him up again, to which we are all witnesses. We all saw it. We touched him. He ate with us. He wasn't a ghost. He was the real deal. We are all witnesses. Try to deny this fact. He says, we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear right here, right now. And in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it's almost as if He's quoting the prophetic words of Jesus back in Matthew. Who do you say I am, Peter? You are the Messiah, the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. That's who you are. That's the message. In its fullness, the disciples begin to expound on what it means to be the Messiah, the need of a Messiah. And Peter goes into all of that in his message and all of it in his sermon. And I think for us, when we look at Peter, we see... A, a dramatic change by the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. And it happened instantly. You know, he didn't take time to say, I'll get back to you, I've got to do a little sermon prep. They accused and he stood up. And out of him came the words that the Holy Spirit was giving him to speak. And next week we'll look, we'll begin looking at the impact of those words. Because when he got through speaking, the words we read and many other words that he spoke, the cry was, what do we need to do to be saved? What do we need to do to be saved? There were more people saved from that message than it looks like Jesus led to the Lord, led to himself throughout his ministry on earth. What was different? The Holy Spirit was working and accomplishing his task. The Holy Spirit's constantly working. If you're not saved and have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit's constantly wooing you, trying to draw you to Jesus, trying to reveal the need that we have as for a Savior. He's trying. He's wooing us. He's, he's seducing us. He will never force us. He will never make you make a decision. He won't make you do that. He will not override your will. He truly is a humble and gentle yet powerful and mighty Holy Spirit. All you have to do, because He'll give you the grace the moment you make the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it will change your life. It will change your life forever. Just like it has many, 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 many of us in this room. Hopefully all of us. So I encourage you... Start reading the book of Acts if you've not read it before. And if you have, start reading it again. We're not going to go through every detail, but we're going to go through enough that I hope that we understand, first of all, the Holy Spirit, the message, the mission. Because we are all called to continue carrying out this work that Jesus started through the disciples by the Holy Spirit a long time ago. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and give us discernment, give us understanding, give us wisdom as we study your word. Father, I pray that as we, we study the book of Acts, God, we see your hand by the Holy Spirit in everything, wherever it is. 
God, I pray you would continue to give us a sensitivity. Give us a greater sensitivity. Help us to be more sensitive to your Holy Spirit speaking to us in our own lives. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's heard my words this morning and has never personally accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they would succumb to the wooing of the Holy Spirit today. Receive your grace to accept Jesus as their Savior that their life may be changed in a moment as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in their body. I pray also, Lord, that as we go our separate ways, you would give us opportunities to share the good news that's in us, that we could truly be those witnesses and share the good news of the gospel, share the reality and the truth of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would, in our weakness, give us strength. In our fears, give us boldness. And all of it would be so immersed we would be so immersed in your love that the love of Jesus would overflow from every one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.